Hey everybody, welcome to the first rendition of the New Seed Podcast, different name. Our guest right now, we didn't even let her know that before I introduce her, which she doesn't even know this, but first rendition, New Seed Podcast, welcome. Same topics, same things you come here for, for the Brand and Beyond pod, but different name, different different energy now, so we're very excited to announce that. But with that announcement, I also would like to introduce our guest here today, someone with a deep, deep experience in the HR people space and someone who just brings a great energy every time that we've talked to her at this point, the founder of Agile and HR, the one and only Mindy Hanku. Mindy, welcome to the show. Oh my goodness, thank you so much, Chris. And exciting to be the first of a, a new chapter of a rebrand yep. for your podcast. That's really exciting. Yes, thank you. Thank you. We're really excited about it as well. And we love that you're the first guest because again, like I just mentioned, you have a great energy and it's going to be on display here today for sure. So Mindy, take us, you know, do your do your light takes back to the beginning. How'd you get to where you are and give the give the people a little bit more of your background, a little bit more of Agile and HR? All right. Well, origin story. So <laughs> <laughs> How far back do we want to go? I was born on a cold. <laughs> I, my sister actually has the best uh, origin story. She was born when Mount St. Helens uh, blew. So my mom was wow. about to give birth to my sister as Mount St. Helens was erupting. And my mom was trying to get a nurse's attention to say, hey, I think I'm about to erupt here. <laughs> So that's the best origin story. I unfortunately came with not a lot of fanfare. I was your typical, typical just welcoming into this world. Uh, I my my HR journey started back in college, actually through the lens of social work. And I'm kind of naturally curious and naturally have always just had a, a passion and calling to make a difference, to help people and and really, that could look in different ways. And, and as a social worker, one of the great things about social work is it's really kind of the project management of people. It helps you understand, starting with where is that the people or the population that you're serving, helping understand what is the ecosystem that they're within in order to understand what is the current state, where is that future desired state, and how do we develop the right tools and resources to surround that individual to be able to help kind of take those next steps, but also to inform iteration and agility for an individual to be able to adapt as they're learning to sometimes often put on new behaviors and habits as they work towards that more future desired state. That very much goes into workplaces. I was working with juvenile offenders and often saw that there were some areas in their life where the adults were not showing up in their life in the in the best way, that a lot of um, healthy healthy behaviors weren't being learned at a young age or even the sense of self-worth because that wasn't being modeled for them. And that's not something we're born with. We're not born with a sense of self-worth. And so I often have always asked myself, what what would it look like if this person never ended up needing me? <laughs> like always like working myself out of the solution, right? That ideal state would be that they don't even need me. And and I saw enough uh, through my my time working with this population and working with the adults that were in their life that often it, workplaces were a common denominator and a common stressor 
um, in these adults' lives. And wow, what an impact could we make if we were able to shift that work narrative where that individual was able to be their whole self, to thrive, to feel like they were actually important and added value. Wow, that person would come home really different, wouldn't they? And be able to impact their communities and their their families and their relationships in a different way. So that's where I got really interested about how does social work lens impact workplaces. And so that's when I started to bridge the gap between um, true social work and moving into the HR profession. And so then I moved into Microsoft and, you know, uh, you know as, uh, as journeys go, 20 years later, here I am. I've done a little bit of everything within the HR world, typically in technology companies. Um, but as I moved out of my last uh, in-house uh, chief people officer uh, role, I really started to see as I kind of interviewed and talked with people, really a gap within small, medium businesses around we need the brain of a chief people officer, but we can't afford a chief people officer. And we probably don't need one full time yet, but how would we be able, how, how do we even understand what a people function is? And we care about it and we need someone to guide us to really think about how can we start to set that up? How does that support the type of business we want to be and the customers that we serve? So I found this awesome opportunity as a fractional HR leader to be able to work with um, small, medium businesses startups, very much industry agnostic, which was a surprise to me. And I always thought it would just be tech companies, but now I, I get to work with uh, manufacturing and, and, and many other um, work uh, workspaces that I never thought I would be able to influence before. And it's been very fun and a lot of great learning. But, you know, at the end of the day, workplaces all need the same thing. They need someone that understands the ecosystem of that workplace, being able to understand why does this workplace exist? Who is this business either serving or, you know, who is the consumer or the customer? And then how do we break that down to the actual humans that make all this happen? And how do we align those humans? How do we give them a sense of purpose? How do we kind of put all those systems and consistency and, and healthy behaviors to help them drive and row together towards um, business productivity. And, and so that often when founders start when at the beginning having these conversations, they're setting themselves up to be successful. It's a little bit harder once you get to be 100, 150, but obviously there's also a need there I often working with. And then it's about how are we taking a step back, analyzing the current state kind of. I had someone once uh, recently tell me, oh, it's like an HR x-ray. I was like, oh, I love that. I did not coin that phrase. That's from someone else that I admire. Um, um, but yeah, it's kind of like doing an HR x-ray of the organization to once again, where is our current state? What are the things that are probably getting in the way of the business being able to be fully productive and thrive? And often those are people things. We're messy. The one thing we're really good at is being messy humans and and we're not good at relationships, which is naturally mess it up. And in our hybrid kind of remote world, it doesn't make that any easier. And so often what I get the opportunity to do is kind of come in and see how are we getting in our own way and how can we start to detangle that spaghetti and be able to create a sense of meaning and purpose and alignment um, 
and all the other things I am sure that we can talk about further, but I've been talking a lot, so I'm going to stop. But that's what Agile and HR is about. I use a user-led design and Agile framework to help me um, in making all that happen. We're here to listen. We're here to listen. <laughs> but I, I would love to go back into really your background, social yeah. background. We love when people come from left field, right? An untraditional path to the people space. Yeah. How has the social work background that you've experienced almost been a detriment to your success thus far? You know, usually we've spoken with a multitude of founders and operators within the people space where they were very intentional about breaking into HR. But we love the fact that social work comes from a, a unique standpoint where you, you're able to almost sympathize and empathize with people at a personal level, which translates very well on the professional uh, level, which is what you mentioned earlier. Yeah. But besides the benefits of that transition for you, speak a little bit more onto how the untraditional path didn't serve you and how that looked like uh, moving forward. Yeah. I think one of the biggest hurdles was being able to articulate that value within corporate America. I was very, it was hard to find a job. It was hard to get people to listen. You just have a social work background. Your internships are in social work. You are working with juvenile offenders. Why are you interviewing at Microsoft? What value do you have? What do you bring here? I, I the a story that I love it. I actually was my resume was in a reject pile, and someone came along. A manager's trying to create a new team, uh, a different way of sourcing and screening talent, and he wanted people that thought differently and thought outside of the box. He didn't want a traditional HR background, and so he went into the junk pile, and he found me. I was an employee referral, and it said on the employee referral cover letter, it would be a sin not to hire her. I, I love that my friend wrote that because that caught his attention. And he said, I will at least spend five minutes on the phone with this person. And and we did. And then he quickly, when once someone gets, uh, is able to talk with me, understand the why, understand how I felt that I would be able to add value, then they get it. Then they start to see, oh, this mindset, this actually really does help um, this apply. Like, How do we know that we're finding the right talent if we're not actually understanding that human that we're speaking to? Like, What motivates them? What is driving them? What is the, What do they value? And does that align with the workplace that we're looking to hire them into? You know, often that's a missing piece still in recruitment. Like we aren't, um, you know, we want someone that's going to add to the culture that's going to be able to use their incredible uniqueness of background and experiences and bring that to the role. But there also has to be some level of <clears throat> of that value alignment of why are we here at the end of the day? Um, because when that's missing, uh, sometimes that can lead to a lot more frustration and a lot of friction um, within the workplace when you have that level of underlying um, misalignments that are often subconscious. Um, uh, some other disadvantages, you know, sometimes I had very early on, I, I needed, I learned the balance of the business and the human. And you do do that within social work, right? Because the ecosystem and the humans have to be able to, to support each other. And so how do you create that awareness within the ecosystem about the population that you're serving? And how can you start building that community? So often these are disenfranchised 
disenfranchised, kind of marginalized, right? Almost invisible. I, I think often the people I was serving were invisible. They, they weren't seen by the, the rest of community. And, and how do you start to break down those, those complex layers? And, and in, in a place of business, it's, it's, it's often you, you can't do all the things. You can't be the counselor for the, the individuals, right? You can't, you need to be able to say, hey, I, as a HR professional, yes, as a social worker, I, I, I have been taught how to counsel, but that may not necessarily be my role in this place. And how do I then work with someone external to our company that is able to help support you in that way? You need to learn kind of where are those boundaries and 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 being able to say, okay, yes, social work is such a great advantage, but all because I have this like unique depth of skill set, I also had to know when is it or not um, okay to utilize within the workplace. And that was something I learned early on, but it wasn't always easy. Well, first of all, shout out to your friend with the the great note and introduction that. <laughs> your career started. But earlier you mentioned that you were working with juveniles. Yeah. What is that relationship like dealing with juveniles in that social work setting to now working with young talent in this professional setting? What's the dichotomy like? What's the relationships like in terms yeah. of how you're able to engage with them, understand them and almost prepare them for the next step? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a lot of similarities in that because it's about connecting with who who are they sometimes for the first time um they never felt like they had been seen or heard like the young people that i was working with that they never felt like anyone truly cared that took a moment they people were talking at them uh, and weren't actually seeing and hearing them like so when you're asking these routine questions sometimes as a social worker there's a way that you can do that and just go through your job as a task list or you can take a moment and actually use it as a meaningful connection point this is a human that i'm interacting with this if i never see this person again at this moment i could use this one moment even just to um, make a difference for this person if this is a one time that they or a seed is planted like wow, someone actually cares? What does that actually feel like? That person may have never felt that way before. Like every moment we have with someone, we have the ability to be a difference maker. And I I think that's true in our workplace too. It's like, how are we not just going through the routine of onboarding or, you know, just benefit um, open enrollment or, you know, who are the humans that we're interacting with? How are we taking a moment to personally connect with them and every single touch point along that employee journey. How are how is that a meaningful connection or not? Often we just send out mass emails to everyone. And then you wonder why no one reads them. Well it's because they don't they, they it's not resonating with them because we haven't taken a moment to tailor that message to meet them and who they are and and be able to help them feel seen and heard. I mean, that from social work is so much what I apply in my workplace. That that human connection is so similar in, in how we take each moment, each opportunity to connect with someone and make it intentional and meaningful that that person walks away thinking, wow, Mindy cares, Mindy heard me, and I may not, I may have, I may not be, my, I may not be right, uh, and I may be in a place, and I need to work through some things. But I, 
now I'm building this relationship of trust with Mindy to, I realize that where I am today maybe is not the most healthy, but we're going to build a plan together to move to something different and, and the excitement and the hope for what might that look like. I like where you're going with that. Understanding that tailored information, personalized engagements is very crucial, especially for younger generations when trying to step into the workforce, yeah. you know, as well as the experiences you've dealt with within the social yeah. realm. Yeah. So how do you advise companies to provide that experience? So usually what young young adults, excuse me, young professionals, even more seasoned professionals, yeah. we all go through the same things, copy and paste, whether it be the values or culture or just, hey, this is what the job description says and this is what we're anticipating on you, you doing. But like we all know, we all hear stories of people actually getting within those positions realizing this isn't it going back to what you were saying earlier, because there's a lack of transparency, a lack of uh, tailored deliverables that I can't, was able to digest yeah. and really internalize and then make a, almost like an educated, actionable step towards what they actually right. wanted. So yeah. going back to my question, how do companies <clears throat> combat that? What are some processes that you think are effective in terms of providing you know, that tailored and personalized experiences and information that people really do care about? Oh, yeah. There's so many ways <laughs> that could be a whole out. That's such a good question, first of all. And I could spend an hour just talking to that. I, I think, you know, first of all, you when you take a step back, some ways that you first can kind of dive into these things is like, what is some of the data that that is, you know, the, what are those data points? And what are the what are the employees speaking to in the organization? Do they do we actually know what our employees are saying? Because if we don't, then how do we create channels of listening for our employees to speak into uh, solutioning? Uh, you know, often it could feel that all these policies and, and practices and all these technology solutions are being decided by uh, leadership and then are being kind of brought into the workplace and employees are being told to do these things and to use these things. But when they are the actual ones that are interacting with the technology or interacting with the different policies and practices, they're the experts. And I think the companies that take a moment to think about how do we get feedback from our employees? What is their day-to-day -day like? You know, Have we shadowed that experience before making uh, policy practice change decisions. And that's where that change adoption and resiliency um, starts to occur. The resiliency is, is happens when we start to bring the employee along in the change journey with the decision makers, where they actually feel that they're a part of the decision making process. So for example, let's say in the recruitment, you were speaking to a lot of times where if we don't truly understand what a successful hire or quality hire is going to look like, if we haven't even articulated that well, if we don't even know what the real skills are are, if it's just a blanket job description, we're probably not going to end up hiring well into that because we aren't articulating what the experience is like. Because the companies that truly are doing a good job of clear, being clear in their job descriptions, in their interview process, they're going to have an experience, a meaningful connection with the potential candidate where the candidate can already start to self-select of, is this an actual place where I see myself doing my best work? And it may not be. It may not be an environment in which they're their natural kind of superpowers are going to shine because the company values a different set of, of superpowers. You know, you could say,
say collaboration, but collaboration, you know, what are the actual behaviors that are driving that greater skill of collaboration? That can look different in different workplaces. So if you get really crisp and clear on what does success look like here you know, and what are our expectations, then you can drill that into creating more tailored job descriptions that are going to speak to the specific audience or that quality of hire that you're seeking to attract and retain. That's just one example. Uh, and you, you, this can go into the onboarding experience too. Like how are you taking the data from the recruitment phase? Often you're gathering all this incredible data about the individual and the role. And, and how are we taking that into the onboarding and being able to inform the manager and the employee of like, what were some of those areas that came up in the interview where we felt this is 100%, you're going to be able to hit the ground running, or here's some areas that we feel like may need a little bit more time for growth and development, and be able to show that to the employee and the manager to have an informed conversation. And maybe the employee then has the opportunity to say, oh, actually, I do have experience in this, we just didn't get a chance to talk about it. And so let me share that with you. There's a lot of assumptions that are made and, and time that's not even taken into being able to build these meaningful moments of meetings that we already have, but they're not meaningful meetings because they're not actually getting to the things that matter to start to develop that trusted relationship between the manager and the employee, creating clarity of expectation for them in that role and what does successful performance look like? And so these are just additional ways that if we were able to tailor the onboarding to truly support that person in their that new role, being able to take the information that we heard from them, like, did, did we really hear that from them? I mean, I, I often don't see that information get carried on. So how important is data for companies to follow through with, you know, those processes you mentioned, you know, how do they go about getting those key touch points? Yeah, I mean, data is, data is, data is important and how we handle our data is also really important. I, I would say, I think the thing, I'm not a data expert. I definitely uh, have people within my network that are people data gurus uh, that I surround myself with. And I love data, but data can also be dangerous because some people may be quick to assume something from a data point and not take the moment to actually just be curious about it and truly understand the context and the story behind the data point. So when I when I talk about data, I always want to be careful because data, if done, if handled in, in the right way, can be super powerful, but can also be very dangerous. And so the data points that we're gathering in the in the, in the interview process, you, you know, in a, we want to be able to utilize that in a way that can grow and scale. Like, first of all, like when I was just starting out, it would be just like quickly getting some quick highlights that we heard. It, it, you know, keep it simple. Don't over-architect it. What were some of those key points that were strengths and areas of opportunity? And then how are we then creating like a 30, 60, 90 onboarding and being able to help create that first connection meeting? We called it a connection meeting with the employee and, and using some of those um, key points that came out of the interview to help inform that first connection meeting. But we always let the employee know in advance about the connection meeting and how to prepare for the connection meeting. And it's like, it's like, it's like starting a new friendship, right? We don't jump in and assume things things about each other, we get a chance to get to know each other and and how do we prefer to communicate? And often we skip that <laughs> when we're under hiring someone, we just jump into the work. 
And, and then we wonder, why are we having problems? Well, this is because we had all these assumptions and expectations that we never actually spoke about. And we have misalignment in our expectations. And, and so it's like, and, and I know that's not like, there's other data points, obviously, and signals that we can say, uh, when we built this practice, how do we know are we being successful or not? Maybe a, a successful uh, measure would be around, you know, when do when are our employees leaving? How much churn do we have within the first year of a new hire? You know, often if we start to see that number drop, if people are starting to leave, if it increases, that people that have been with us for six months to a year, if that is a high level of our attrition, well, they're, we're probably like not doing something right there. And so when we put in a change initiative to be able to address that area that we're seeing in the data as an area of opportunity to improve, <clears throat> being able to create a hypothesis of if I try this, I expect that I, my retention of people from six months to a year will increase, that we'll see a reduction in those people leaving. And so then we can start to see, okay, that thing that I did, is that actually impacting the number in the way that I thought it was going to? I think, I think you touched on a lot of good points. And I think really the race to success within the people ops function does revolve to some extent around data, especially with the evolution and incorporation uh, with AI and what a lot of HR people functions are really trying to do to leverage, not only yeah. just find the data points, which is what Chris was asking, but be able to acknowledge them and almost manipulate the data points in a way that's progressive for the benefit of the employees, for the benefit of the yeah. brand, for the benefit of the candidates. Like in How the- have you seen- Oh, no, go ahead, please. I, I think you're going to say, how have you seen that uh, come to it? I was going to say one really great example. We need to be careful in the recruiting process. I probably picked like the worst <laughs> like employee journey stage because right now uh, with AI and recruiting, that's really under scrutiny, right? And I think it's because sometimes AI, we think it's going to replace people, but we can't because in the hiring process, there's so much... Um, bias, even within our AI, we have to be very careful. It can't ever become the sole decision maker. We still need humans involved in that. Now, we can definitely use AI as a guide to help kind of give us some um, opportunities to help us kind of see some common themes or um, be able to take a, a large group of, of people and help us maybe find some indicators, but it should never become the decision maker. Uh, I, I, I have seen um, some AI really interesting recruiting around transcripts. Like if you are interviewing for a, a large volume, like often with call centers, and if you have transcripts within your AI, well, some interesting things are too. You can start to see, are our interviewers actually asking the right questions? Are the interviewers speaking most of the time in the interviews or is the actual candidate being able to speak? So interesting AI that gives you some awareness of how even we can improve our abilities to interview. How many of the conversations are you having with the companies you work with through Agile, uh, Revolve, beyond AI, right, but more so merging into culture, right? And yeah. what that influence that has with the organizations. Uh, I think can you just clarify for the audience. Yeah, everything. Agile has everything to do with culture. <laughs> so when it comes to culture, the, the agile work that, that I do with my clients. So most of the time they come to me and it's because they're they're frustrated about something. They, you know, they came into their role with some really great ideas and they don't feel like they've ever had an opportunity to actually make any of those great ideas come into reality because they become very reactive in nature and just trying to keep the lights on in the business. And 
<clears throat> so they they come to me and say, "Hey, um, I feel like the the people team now has hasn't been able to evolve. We haven't been able to um, to align with the the business objectives. And how can we make sure that we're actually pushing the business forward? How how do we improve this culture so it becomes a place of work where people do feel that they enjoy coming here, that they don't dread coming here on a Sunday?" Uh, evening before that, you know, they wake up on a Monday morning and I mean, everyone has this best of intent, right? They didn't set out to create a, most often the people I talk to, they never intended to set out to create a crappy culture. They, they want a healthy culture. So how do they do that? And, and so often we get so in the weeds and in the day to day, we don't actually take a breath and get a chance to take a step back. And, and so in working with me, it's about how do we get curious to take that step back and do kind of that lens, like even if it's understanding from a user led design point of who are your employees, let's create some user personas, employee personas of the common employee groups that you have here that really outline who are they as humans? What motivates them? What are their needs here in this organization? What are their key frustrations? To answer these questions, we have to talk to them. and and But we first have to understand who they are and then walk them through the employee journey. What are, what are the key stages of the employee journey at your workplace? And, and then how do we walk these personas through that journey? in order to understand how are we, you know, being able to meet their needs at the moments that matter most or not. And, and, and really in order to be able to get a prioritized, um, we can oh, we have a, really a holistic lens of, hey, maybe there's some employees that we're doing a really good job of supporting, but there may be some really key outliers where we are not supporting these individuals at all. And, and we're losing and we're seeing that in our, actually, when we look our look at our attrition rates, when we look at the, you know, the people who were not retaining, that then is reflected in that. So that's like a supporting indicator that what we're seeing and hearing in the organization is correct. Um, it's it's about how how are we getting underneath the actual like behaviors and decisions and the the humans behind the data, and and then being able to take that that employee journey often then helps uh, people teams kind of take a step back and say hey here's all the work that we're doing and none of that is tied to what you found in this employee journey and. And actually, the work that we're working on isn't even tied to the business objectives that this organization needs to pivot on in order to be successful in five years. So how do we actually start to think about, okay, well, where are you spending your time? And how do we get really thoughtful about, okay, this is what we need to do to keep the business running. We just have to do those things. But what capacity do we have left? Where can we automate? Where can we augment the team? How can we streamline? How how maybe have we started doing things as HR? because it was thrown over into our kitchen sink that really should be owned by IT or in partnership with IT or partnership in with facilities. It's, it's like, who are the key stakeholders here? Do is it truly just us owning this as an HR island? Usually the answer is no. The employee experience is has digital touch points. It has facility touch points. It's it ha, you know how are we including all the decision makers of this uh, employee experience into the decision making to help support and carry the weight of that. Um, 
And, and then this all goes back to culture building. And, and how are the employees who are in this journey, how, how are they being able to speak into it? Often they have some of the best solutions. You know, HR doesn't have to come up with that solution and shouldn't probably shouldn't be on their own. And it's, a, it's about creating kind of that holistic and then breaking it down into smaller chunks of where are the priorities, where do we focus that on, but then getting really narrow. And this is where Agile about delivering slices of value. And it's not about this big project that's going to take two years, right? How do we get really specific and scope around if we just did this one thing that it will deliver value, but then we'll be able to get a data point and, and feedback on that one thing that then informs the next thing that we do. So how do we start to chunk things down and understand the cross-functional members of the team that are working on these slices of value on these individual pieces of work? And then we start to really understand, okay, this is, is what's in progress right now. And I know that this time um, in this quarter that we have the time to do this. Uh, and a lot of times people don't have season. They do have seasonalities in their business. And so also being thoughtful of who are the key stakeholders. If this is a big sales initiative part of the year, and if we know that we need the sales team members to be a part of this piece of work, well, then maybe we need to figure out a different time to start it when they actually have the ability to speak into it and be a part of the solutioning. And so it's also being mindful about what needs to be done within the holistic ecosystem so that you start to create a, a rhythm and, and a cadence and then you start delivering these slices of value, which then creates that iteration and the feedback from the employee. And then you're using the data to create data-informed um, continuous improvement and progress. Is there any sort of specific trends you're seeing within culture that have been really effective recently that you, companies you've been working with, obviously, uh, just in regards to becoming a place that people actually enjoy coming to, right? That they're proud yeah. to say, hey, I work here, right? Yeah, um, one of the things that's really exciting is benefits. I feel like benefits is just kind of this automated thing that a lot of companies do, but it's literally deriving value for your employees. It's, it is one of the things that really uh, attracts and, and retains people and can differentiate you from um, other businesses. And what's exciting is to see how has diversity, equity, inclusion efforts started to be woven into all the different parts of the business truly. And it's not just a checklist, but how, when it's woven into benefits, do we lead to some new exciting ways of being able to drive value for our employees, that they actually see themselves in the benefits being offered to them. Um, and, and one of those is LSAs or lifestyle spending accounts and um, being able to truly have uh, benefits that are usable by your employees. You know, often companies did the, they thought they were doing the best, right? By giving a Fitbit. Okay, wellness, Fitbit, but not everyone needs a Fitbit. And not everyone in your company is at that same salary level. Like there's some people that, you know, maybe are just making enough to get by. And so, you know, the money that would go towards a Fitbit would, could really be useful for them in a different way. So how are we actually taking the money that we're utilizing within our benefit plans understanding what the needs of our employees are. And a lifestyle spending account enables a company um, to be able to easily administer um, a stipend 
And then in a platform, be able for someone to be able to choose and select sometimes from a monthly basis, depending on the provider you choose from, for that employee to then be able to say, hey, this month I want to choose, I want to choose Instacart and elderly care, or next month I'm going to need something very different. So I'm going to select two different things that I want to put my money towards, which is really creating that flexibility and agency to the employee, which is a lot of also what our younger generation wants when they think wellness, often they're choosing um, employers that are going to support their wellness versus just career development. Some recent data has shown that that's more important to them than having a career development opportunity in a company. And But when you really get down to when you say wellness, what does that mean for you? That's, that's going to look different for each person. That's defined differently. Often pe- for people, it's about flexibility and about being able to have some level of of choice to be able to see, to feel seen and heard. So those are some of the exciting trends um, that I, I've seen in organizations really trying to rethink when we think about total rewards and well-being, what actually is that and how are our practices and policies actually supporting it? Because often it's not. Often it's it's just, it's very structured. There's no flexibility. People are just signing up for things and then they're not using them because they don't need them. What's the difference in benefits wanted from younger generations, think Gen Z millennials versus what the baby boomers wanted, right? And those generations that are currently dominating the workforce. How can companies almost protect the people that are there, which are traditionally the baby boomers, right? And the older millennials, yeah. as well as protecting and almost influencing the younger generations and welcome them into like, hey, I know we're doing this or have done this, but we're also very nuanced in our thinking in terms of navigating our culture accordingly. How would yeah. you, yeah, how would you navigate that? Um, not to be redundant, <laughs> I do love that the lifestyle spending account does support a multi-generational workforce. And and you're starting to see things too where your older generation will need things like menopause uh, support or uh, you know the elderly care. And so how is an organization able to afford to do that, but then also support your 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 young uh, people coming in and and the, you know off with the LSA they, they see use in um, mental health coaching. Uh, services, um, also in uh, like Peloton. Um, these are some of the things that the the younger generation are being um, are are opting into, whereas the older generation may or may not. I, I always hate these generational discussions because there's always it always feels like a generalization of a group of people. But I, I do find that uh, are the younger like generation around that flexibility, the, that value alignment is really important to them. The ability to have like coaching support, access to mental health is is really key. It feels like they're more self-aware of what they need and they want to see how is this organization going to support me and being able to be successful here. All those values that Gen Z and those millennials you know, are looking for how do companies provide that with that first impression, right? Learning about company ABC, I'm going to their career page or I'm going through yeah. their about sort of meter team page. Like what yeah. are things I should see to make it worthwhile for me to inquire further? And what are certain things that companies should provide so they don't lose the engagement, lose that interest from, from that? Yeah. I, I kind of like some of the new trends where you start to see people bring the job description to life, where you see them using Loom 
and you may have the hiring manager actually speaking. It's like a it's like a verbal job description in a way where they're able to kind of bring that job to life and they speak to the environment. Or you have the the life of the employee, a, a look into the life of the workplace environment. I, I like how we're using some of the technology to get beyond just the static experience with the with just a, a bunch of words on a paper. Because what is that telling me? I. I also love the, um, I love some of the, when you're, you're in the interview process, how are you uh, asking, you know, feeling like you don't, how are you being you? Like, I always feel like in an interview, you, sh- you need to be yourself. Like if they're not, if you're not hired for who you are, you don't want to be in that environment. So how are you being true to you and, and, and being able to see like and engage and, and be able to see, is this a collaborative environment? Are we able to have uh, a healthy conversation around differences of opinion? And, you know, I think companies are also looking at how do we change our interview processes? So it provides the opportunity for the employee to kind of feel what is it like to work here? Is there a way to have a more skills-based interview process that simulates the workplace environment so that the person gets a chance to kind of feel what are the other humans in this organization and what is it going to be like to work here. So those are some more of the innovative things that I'm seeing organizations do within the hiring process. What are some must-haves that you you think that should be required, you know, when, (laughs) hey, look at us. Mindy's point of view. Yeah, I, Mindy's point. Mindy's point of view. I, I definitely think the must have is being honest about what is this workplace, being transparent about you know, what is it like to work here, and 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 what does this role add to the environment, and and what are the expectations of success for this role? It, it it's not just about how are we just saying okay, what would you do in the case of this. Help me explain, you know, a past situation in which you handled X, Y, and Z. I feel like a must is like, I want to walk away from an interview and truly have felt the workplace environment and culture. I, I often feel that you, it's unfortunate, like when we were able to go into workplaces and interview, because now a lot of the interviewing is is through this medium, through Zoom, uh, We you get a sense when you walk in a physical space and and you get to interact with the humans, you get a sense of the culture, right? You get a sense of what is it like to work here? I get to see often the break space. I get to see the, you know, what is the environment? What is the even the um, drive like here? You know, if it's a hybrid and I'm going to have to commute, I I want a sense of and walk away with a feeling of, okay, I got a little glimpse into what it actually will feel like to be here every single day. And often now we don't get that little bit of a taste for what is that like? And I think that's missing. And I I feel like any way we can try and simulate that and help someone understand that they walked away in that interview experience with a taste of our culture. And the culture is really at the end of the day, how we behave together. Certainly, and I agree with you. I, I, I do think it is missing. But are there any companies, even before you apply, before you get onboarded, that you think do a great job showing culture and just really welcoming welcoming people into their ecosystem before, again, I even yeah. apply? Yeah, before before you even apply. Um, hmm. I know I put you on the spot there. I apologize. <laughs> it's a great question. Um, 
I, my, you know, my husband just recently was interviewing because uh, he was laid off twice, unfortunately, in the in six month time period because he was in uh, the startup world. And, uh, you know, as he was talking with uh, people within his network and with his community, often our employees are our, our, our brand ambassadors. And some companies are really good at being able to give their employees the right tools and resources to speak to their culture. And then other companies aren't. And so that's where you might get different, you know, really, okay, that's their unique experience versus someone else's unique experience. If you don't have a similarity of experience, that kind of is also a message about a culture. And um, but I think the companies that do care about their culture see their employees as a part of that, do provide them with um, touch points to be able to speak to it. And so that when you are in a community and you are networking, you're getting a sense of that environment through talking to people because they're going to start to, they're going to have a similarity of experience. And so my husband started to get a sense of that in different workplaces. And so those were then where he was targeting to interview with and apply with. And then he saw, you know, consistency builds trust, right? So what I heard from the employees, did I walk away then from every touch point, every email, every, you know, my interaction with the job description, the, that recruiter that called me, did I have that consistency of, of conversation where, where I felt like I, you know, I, that I mattered, that this is a place that I could be. And he did have that with a snowflake. Um, and and Snowflake did an incredible job. I as an HR professional, I wish I knew the HR person there. That's like I've been kind of on my to-do list. I'm like, I want to meet this person because it's it's rare when you find a culture that is that consistent throughout the process. And they tried to do like what we mentioned around the simulation of work and creating a really collaborative interview experience and and being able to really get a sense of who Chris is. And they were able, he was able to get a sense of who they are. And I just loved the, this, the thoughtfulness and then also the onboarding process. So everything has just been a consistent touch point. They definitely, the work that I do with customers, you could clearly tell that they did that. They thought about who are our employees? What are those user personas? And how are they stepping through every single moment of our employee journey? Because we want to make sure that's consistent. Because the moment it's not, that's when the when the experience is different than the expectation. That's when trust starts to erode and to break. So you walked us through a lot, right? You introduced us to your background. You shared with us the playbook, right? That we think transcends, you know, beyond any stage or level in the a person within the people function can use. What's the sell for agile in HR? How would you sell your services? How would you sell yourself? And tell talk a little bit about the companies you like to work with. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I I'm still working on this. I just started agile in the HR at the end of uh, September, and uh, and I think I truly am like iterating on on that value. I th I think where I've landed is I truly I love working with um, companies. I'm industry agnostic. I, I work with companies typically from the size from five to a thousand. And it's often those leaders who care and they come to a moment where they realize either at the beginning of the process that they came out of something, they were starting something new and they realize I, I care about building a culture that's going to have a successful, be productive and successful and impact my consumer in a positive way. And I want to start out 
doing that in a thoughtful way. So Mindy, help be my guide in helping me create that. And then as a fractional HR leader, I'm there to help them build out their people functions and 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 practices and systems and team, and then move towards more an advising nature when they kind of bring in that HR leader and, and advise them um, through maybe some first time experiences. Uh, but often it's if it's later in if it's later in stage, those leaders are, oh my goodness, I'm at 100 to 200 people. I care about this company and this culture. I'm seeing some things that are concerning me. And I wanted to achieve these things that I was really excited about. And I do care about people, but I don't feel like I'm I'm able to make any of this happen. And I'm really frustrated. Mindy, can you please help me keep my promise? to the people of this organization. I love that. I love that. I can see why people are working with you right now, Mindy, after that, because I'm sold. <laughs> um, Mindy, amazing. So much knowledge you gave, Peace and I. Uh, I could speak for him. Uh, we, we're going to reflect after this and be like, wow, we 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 just learned a lot right there. Uh, so again, thank you so much. But where can the people find you? Uh, more about yourself, if they want to connect with you, and more about Agile and HR. Yeah. So uh, people can find me on LinkedIn and they can uh, direct message me. All my contact information is up there. I have a very agile website right now. It's like Blabber, version one. <laughs> it's on Canva. Uh, it's that, But that link is really clear on uh, LinkedIn and they can book time with me uh, through there. They can also find me on platforms like uh, Pick My Brain or Mentor Cruise. Mm -hmm. If they would just like to have a short conversation with me, like a discovery call, um, they can find me and those platforms as well. I, I love talking with people and it's uh, been such a pleasure um, being here with you today. Peace and Chris. I'm so glad that uh, you were introduced uh, into to my community and my network and I, I look forward to ongoing conversations. Just thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for those kind words. We feel the same way. Thank you so much for giving us your time today, Mindy. really means the world to us. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks. And to everyone listening to the Now New Seat podcast, thank you very much. And until next time.